Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Welcome to the Insomnia Project. Sit back, relax, and listen as we have a light conversation about the mundane. One thing that we can promise is that our conversation will be less than fascinating so that you can feel free to drift off. Thank you for joining us. We hope you will listen and sleep. I'm your host, Marco Timpano. And I'm your co-host, Nidhi Kana. Feel free to tweet us at listen and sleep. Subscribe to us on iTunes and you can find out exactly when we have our posting our newest episodes that you can listen to and fall asleep to. Marco, I received some feedback about a previous episode from a friend of mine who was listening who is of Ukrainian origin. And she was listening to our episode on eggs, which I believe was episode two, if I'm not mistaken, where we talked about the The Ukrainian... Ukrainian, um, artistry of decorating eggs and she mentioned that we mispronounced the technique um, yes I, I was calling it uh, pisanki uh, pisanki yeah and it was actually it's actually called pisanke okay um, I don't know if I botched that again perhaps I did but uh, I thank Mila for her feedback and uh we apologize for any mistaken pronunciation on the Insomnia Project. We do our best, and I know that uh, I really enjoyed making those Easter eggs back in the day. And uh, speaking of eggs, I, uh, I have a friend who's a chef, and uh, he works at a very popular brunch place in the city. It's a, it's a popular place, but on the weekends they do brunch, and... Uh, Ben was mentioning to me, this is the chef, chef Ben was saying that he listens to our podcast when he comes home after a night of work. He said a lot of times chefs will be very wound up after an evening service that has been very busy and it's very tricky or difficult for them to wind down and fall asleep. And he he had mentioned that he enjoys our podcast because unlike watching television, there's no light that that keeps him up either. He'll just play the podcast in the back and have it on a sort of continuous 
episode after episode after episode. And he said he fell asleep and had a restful night's sleep thanks to us. So I want to send a little shout out to all the chefs out there who may be listening to the Insomnia Project. Thank you for listening and thank you for cooking for us when we go to restaurants and whatnot. Well, thank you to Chef Ben for that. And as you say, all the chefs out there, Marco, you touched upon a topic that is very close to my heart there. Which is? Brunch. Oh. I am a big fan of brunch. I am someone who brunches regularly. Yes. I do find Toronto, the city that we're broadcasting from, is very brunch friendly. You know, there's a lot of cities out there that brunch becomes a not only a meal to have but a thing to do in those cities i know in in california when i've been there i've gone out for brunch i know that seattle is also a brunch capital if you will i love brunch as well there's something about it when you wake up on a sunday morning and you get to get dressed up and go meet some people There's something about that experience. It becomes an event, a tradition, a bonding exercise between friends. And I think it's quite special. It's very different from dinner. Without a doubt. I think one of the great things about brunch is you sort of know going into brunch what some staples are going to be that you're going to see on the menu. And it sort of puts you in the mood, whether you're in the mood for, say, an egg dish or pancakes or some sort of sweet or sweet and savory dish crepes perhaps or waffles Um, usually there's some sort of warm beverage whether it be a coffee um, a tea and some sort of juice orange or grapefruit or a mix of both or perhaps even some more exotic fruit juices what is a typical thing that you enjoy having at brunch well I'm a big fan of the eggs at brunch, sure. Uh, but you touched on sweet and savory, which I find interesting. I also find that we're seeing people experiment with these traditional items in brunch. Of course. Or whether so, there's a bit of experimentation, but there's also this interesting um, way of bringing in different traditions and culture and Mm -hmm. how they brunch differently from your own right so i recently went for egyptian brunch wow which was quite amazing what what would one find at an egyptian brunch so there was a very specific egyptian bread that you had which was uh quite lovely and the eggs had a bit of that savory and sweet spice Yum. or seasoning to it, um, similar to what you would find, I think, in um, a Israeli brunch, which I've had as well. Um, the Middle Eastern brunches sure. in general tend to have a bit of rose water. There's pistachio usually. Um, so I love taking these very typical basic ingredients or items such as eggs and adding a twist. Um, I find that to be a spectacular brunch mm-hmm. experience when I'm brunching. I love a 
traditional North American brunch. So for me, the ideal brunch is eggs benedict, side of bacon, home fries, glass of juice, and a tea. That's very North American. Yeah. Now, Italian brunch, mm -hmm. is that closer to what you would find in your typical North American brunch, or is it got distinctness in its own right? You know, it's interesting because Italian cuisine is so regional, things are d done differently from region to region. What is sort of a linking aspect to what Italians would have for breakfast? They don't necessarily have brunch, but if you were to do, let's say, an Italian brunch, would be using Italian cheeses with the eggs, some spice, um, versus having bacon. Prosciutto would be probably its its substitute. Right. And uh, I know that uh, many different fruit juices are consumed in Italy. In particular, they have a ABC drink. What's that? So it would be, oh, I hope I remember this now. Um, albicoque, so like a um, nectarine. Uh, oh, I'm going to have to look this up. Carote would be the C, and the B is, um, oh, it just escapes me, but we'll look it up. And, and um, But it's a mixture of three different juices that you'll often see in little drink boxes and whatnot. Is the B beetroot by any chance? No. no? Okay. No, because it's orange in color. Oh, is it? Yeah, okay. we'll look it up. I know that for myself, um, I've always been a fan of... One thing about my brunch experience is that I don't like when too many things on my plate touch. So especially the sweetlets, if I'm having eggs and a pancake, I want my pancake on a separate plate. Because I don't like... I like my eggs runny, and if it runs onto my pancake, it's... A, something that I don't enjoy. That's interesting because I agree in some respects. So runny eggs on pancakes to me is not an ideal situation. Right. However, I do enjoy, you know, a bit of the mixing of, let's say, some toast with the baked beans or um, those type of complementary components but uh, I think pancakes are one of those dishes that really does need to be separated from the rest of the plate components. So I agree with you in that respect. I know that you like spice with your food. So you, I, oftentimes when we go out, do you like spice with your brunch? Absolutely, Marco. Um, for me... I need, so for example, I need more than just Tabasco sauce when I'm having my eggs. You know, I like a little bit of sriracha, for example. Um, I do enjoy going for Mexican or South American brunch because I usually can get a hot sauce that is homemade or quite spicy. I do enjoy Italian brunch um, because I can get sort of those, especially the southern Italian hot peppers, 
those are quite enjoyable to me but for me in general I like to have um, hot peppers or hot sauce on most of my food at least with each meal I need to have that as a little bit of a condiment yum it is quite nice mm-hmm. we were uh, driving the other day and we noticed um, these big clouds in the sky and I remember you pointing out and saying, look at that particular cloud there. It has a very interesting sort of shape to it. Um, one thing about clouds is I love to see clouds in paintings. I feel like they really sort of bring out a landscape, in particular the group of Seven's work, if you've ever seen it. Um, there's a lot of clouds in their particular paintings, and I've been a huge fan of the group of Seven and the McMichael Gallery that houses a lot of their works and uh, clouds are just such an interesting thing to see they're always they're often in the sky and you don't notice them but when you do notice them they can be very impressive clouds I used to play that game where you would um, look at a cloud and see what it was shaped like right on long drives with my family that's something that we used to do play that little game and depending on the cloud you could all it was such a subjective game because really it depends on what each person sees in their mind's eye I also remember quite distinctly learning about clouds in our grade 10 science class because we had to memorize a list of many many cloud names scientific names and the only one I remember right now I think is cumulus nimbus or nimbulus something like that but I found it fascinating because there was a theory I'm not sure if it still applies that depending on the shape of the cloud determines what the weather is going to be like and most of the cloud shapes actually um, referred to to bad weather or weather that was going to be rainy or stormy and there was only one cloud shape that actually predicted more sunny weather kind of the fluffy clouds I'm not sure if I can recall the name maybe that was cumulus nimbus and that's why it stuck out in my brain however um, clouds in general were quite uh, I didn't realize there were so many different clouds and uh, I just enjoy also being on a plane and oh, and flying above the clouds. Yes, because I find it quite fascinating to see above the clouds and the layer of cloud-like. Um, well, the clouds in the atmosphere. I think it's it's quite exhilarating and really gives you some perspective on the fact that we're in these planes and can be above the clouds. Sure. Quite a special feeling. Of course, you know, you see clouds and you think, oh, what must it be like to be in a cloud? And I don't know if you've ever had an experience where you've, let's say, walked up a mountain or been in an area where you're in the clouds, but it's very wet. It's a very misty experience like in the sky they seem to have 
you know, this white fluffiness that you could almost see yourself sitting on. I think there's so many iconographic images of angels on clouds and people sitting on clouds and things like that. But when you're amongst a cloud, whether you be in a, let's say, on a mountain or in a gondola that takes you up above the clouds. Sure. Sometimes even if you go skiing, the gondola will take you through cloudy patches of the mountain or the ski lift will. It's very interesting in that it's very cool and misty and you end up getting quite wet being amongst the clouds, which is something you don't really realize when you're just looking at clouds in the sky. I did look up the juice that I was trying to think of earlier, and ah. it actually it's not ABC, it's A-C-E. Oh, well that, So it spells okay. ace if you look at it in English, but it actually represents the vitamins that are in that particular juice, and uh, the base of that juice is arancha, which is A, and that's why I thought it, it denoted the types of fruit, so orange in Italian. It also has C, carote, which would be carrots. So I know its base is always orange and carrot. Oftentimes they'll add lemon, and sometimes they'll add passion fruit. Mm. And the reason I know this is that I have an allergy to passion fruit. Oh, do you? Yeah, so I have to be careful. It's not a severe allergy, but uh, it is something that will cause my lips to tingle and whatnot. So it's one of those items that you don't often see, but for me, I've got to be a little careful of it. And uh, getting back to brunch, what is the fruit that you enjoy most on your brunch plate? The fruit that I enjoy the most? That's a great question. I have to say, I'm a big fan of watermelon. So I quite enjoy when I get a nice slice of watermelon Yum. on my plate. I find it refreshing. I find it changes the taste so that you really feel like, okay, brunch has come to an end. I've finished all the food on my plate right. and here is the little almost dessert like part of the plate that I can top off. How do you feel plates. about watermelon seeds? There's so many seedless watermelons that now oftentimes you won't even see those precious black watermelon seeds that you once saw. And I kind of miss them. Do you? Mm-hmm. What is it about them that uh, appeals to you? There's something nostalgic about watermelon seeds from when I was a kid, and they were often, you'd often have watermelon that had seeds in it. And then, you know, it's been very popular now to have seedless watermelons. Yes. But there's something charming about spitting out those seeds and going for distance or picking them out with a knife. And there's something beautiful about cutting a watermelon and seeing that beautiful bright red flesh with those speckles of black that's seeds. That's very true. That's mm -hmm. very true. There is something quite artistic about it. Mm -hmm. um, did you as a child ever try and plant the watermelon seed or any fruit for that matter, try and plant the seed to see if it would grow? Oh, Nitty, this will have to be a conversation for another podcast because I have quite oh, a story. Well, I have quite a story about planting uh, seeds in our garden. My family is a family that gardens quite a bit and has a very large vegetable garden. 
Marco, I think we do have a little bit of time if you'd like to get into it a little bit. I, I'm curious to hear your thoughts on this. So I had a fascination with planting things in the garden. And I remember thinking to myself, I want to plant watermelon, but I was told watermelon won't grow in Canada, so you won't have any watermelon. But I was determined, so I grabbed some seeds from a random watermelon and planted them, planted them in my parents' garden. Sure enough, watermelon grew. They weren't very big. Really? And you see more of them now. They're like little sugar melons. So sure. they're the size of a small... Smaller than a football. Yeah, like a of. small... Uh, I don't want to say bowling ball, but a small... Oh, that's a um, good analogy. Yeah, a small ball anyways. And uh, everyone was kind of impressed that I was able to grow watermelon. And so then it became a sort of challenge for me. So what I did was I bought packets of giant pumpkin seeds. Oh. So a giant pumpkin seed is probably about the size of your thumbnail when you take the packet out. And I planted them in the garden um, on the little sloping side of the ravine where the garden ended. And I would water them every day and surely you would see these vines start to grow and they're really big, hardy vines with thorns on them too. So all of a sudden, my parents' garden was inundated with these vines and these flowers would start to bloom. Oh, wow. Um, and my dad said, listen, if you want the watermelon to grow big, you have to remove some of the flowers and only allow for, you know, the nutrients to go to one or two pumpkins. And so I did what he said. I plucked some of the flowers off the vine and allowed for two or three to grow. Two and or three pumpkins? Actually, I, I think I had two vines, and I allowed one pumpkin on each Oh wow! in my parents' garden. But I forgotten that I planted some on the slope of the ravine that was in my parents' backyard that just kind of sloped into a grassy field. And so... As fall approaches and the grasses turn yellow and die and whatnot, we would see these giant orange bulbs or these big things in the ravine. You created a pumpkin patch in I the ravine. created a pumpkin patch, and what was funny was the pumpkins that I planted in the garden didn't grow so big. And I don't know if it was because my dad was constantly shifting them out of the way of his zucchini and peppers and whatnot. Fair. And so I had to then climb down into the ravine, and the ravine was quite steep, so I actually used the vine, kind of like a makeshift Tarzan on a swinging vine from a, from a tree in the jungle, and I would lower myself into the ravine until I got to the actual pumpkin that was hanging on this slope. And of course they were giant pumpkins, so once I got there, they were really large and heavy to bring up the ravine to the backyard so we could have them. And uh, they were different shapes and different sizes, so some of them were really long and oblong and, you know, weighed about 25 pounds or so. Wow. And uh, 
Yeah, so that's that was my seed experience. And what I would often do in my mom's garden is I would take random flower packets that she had no idea or wanted in her um, garden, and I would just sort them, them all all along. So she would all of a sudden have brown-eyed Susans, and she'd be like, "How did I get these flowers?" And I wouldn't tell her. You are a rebel there. I I was a little bit mischievous. And uh, when my wife found out about this, she then told my mother that I had gone and planted all these random and odd seeds in her garden. And uh, then we got to talking about the pumpkins that we grew. So I had these giant pumpkins. And they weren't easy to carve either because you think, you know, you're used to carving jack-o'-lantern pumpkins, which has... Um, that is my, um, when you say pumpkins, I think about the round orange jack-o'-lanterns that you see during Halloween, and your story evoked a bit of the the Charlie Brown sure. movie, well, a little bit of a cross of Indiana Jones with right. the vines and the Tarzan-like well, it's interesting because these giant pumpkins aren't necessarily that bright orange. Uh-huh. Some of them were like a paler kind of yellow orange, and some of okay. them were like a rusty orange. Did you eat them? I took the seeds out because, like I said, the seeds are the size of your thumb, and we roasted quite a bit. And I would keep, I would keep the seeds to plant them the following year, so that we would have, you know, a bunch of. Um, giant pumpkins to plant but after a while my folks were like you can't be planting all these pumpkins down the ravine so I had a dedicated area where I could plant my giant pumpkins and they weren't giant by giant standards so people who professionally plant these or they really enjoy uh, you know a, a giant pumpkin so as a result um, I had for about a good four years giant pumpkins all over my parents' garden. And there you go, and that's the story. That's great, Marco. Well, thank you for telling that to us. And thank you to our listeners who are a constant support um, for this show, The Insomnia Project. We broadcast from Toronto and. We are produced by Drumcast Productions. And speaking of clouds, I want to mention that you can listen to our podcast on SoundCloud or download it on iTunes. Till next time, we hope you listen and sleep.